0: This is episode 7 of Karthik Reads. I'm Karthik and we are reading *Genesis is the Key by Ryan Holiday. I hope everyone's doing great and let's get started. We are reading the chapter, Bathe in Beauty. He opens up with a quote from Robert Greene: In the face of the sublime, we feel a shiver, something too large for our minds to encompass. And for a moment, it shakes us out of our smugness and releases us from the death-like grip of habit and banality. In this chapter, Ryan talks about how important is it to actually go out and see the beauty of the nature. People try to find peace and stillness everywhere, but they won't actually look around what they already have. And I feel like that also counts when we look towards the sky, when we look towards how beautiful the trees are in the spring. We just look towards the plants. We look towards the birds. We are looking for beauty everywhere and we miss the beauty which is around us. He gives an example of Anne Frank when she is stuck in an attic with his with her family and still she writes down in her diary that as long as this exists, Anne thought to herself, this sunshine, this cloudless sky, as long as I can enjoy it, how can I be sad? This brings like a really nice perspective that even in such a bad situation, a person who is in such a bad situation She's able to find happiness through beauty, through nature. And why can't we then? And here Ryan says the term for this is ecstasis, a heavenly experience that lets us step outside ourselves. I feel like this also connects with the point that ability to understand that there's more to more than ourselves. You know, when you see at the nature, when you see at the birds, when you see the world around you, when you actually see it, It's a humbling experience. You realize that how big, like how amazing it is that this all exists. And this actually, it's not only even like a humbling experience, it provides peace. Like you feel that experience, you know, why do people go to those beaches? Why do people go to mountains or beautiful places? What they say, beautiful, because it provides peace. What is beauty? Beauty is something which will provide you peace. You feel it from inside. That's beauty. And um, I guess Jordan Peterson is writing another um, chapter about this in his next book where he says that create a room in your room which is the most beautiful. And he makes a really strong point that you need to have a sense of what beauty is. Sometimes we are so stuck in our own lives that we forget to realize what beauty actually is. And if you have a room in your house which is the most beautiful as it can be, you understand that there's more, more to life than just normal habits, you know. And... Ryan says about this towards the end of the chapter is walk, stroll, saunter, ride a bike and cost along a lot. Explore. There is peace in this. It is always available to you. Let it calm you. Let it cleanse you. It's a really interesting chapter. And the next chapter is accept a higher power. He opens up with a quote from Arthur Conan Doyle. Mediocrity knows nothing higher than itself. It's a really interesting chapter so normally if someone would understand this chapter they would say that they're trying to say oh go to this religion or anything but no the basis of this chapter is to tell you that you have to believe in something bigger than yourself i'm not saying that believe in god that's your personal opinion and i'm no one to tell you what to do but you need to believe in something bigger than yourself so that you could understand that there are things out of your control you cannot control everything. Like, this is the base of stoicism. You have, there are some things you can control and there are some things you cannot control. You know, the serenity prayer that, hey, God, give us the strength to give our 100% effort in things which we control and bear which we don't control and wise uh, make us that much wise to know the difference. And Marcus Aurelius also says, like, learn to be indifferent to things which make no difference. And, but... To learn to be indifferent to those things which are out of your control, you have to understand that those things are on someone else's control. And some situations, like um, a disaster, a natural disaster, you cannot control it. Who is controlling it? You have to accept a bigger power. That's when you realize that you are really small in the terms of the bigger things. So it just humbles you, it's a humbling experience and um, ryan here says acknowledging a higher power is difficult because submitting to anything other than your own desires is anathema to what one addict describes as the pathological self-centeredness of addiction it's a really interesting take and i never thought that this could be actually interest like, related to addiction too and here he says that this isn't really about god it's about surrender it's about faith let's see what he has ahead acknowledging these higher powers they accessed a kind of stillness and peace most simply because it meant less fighting battles for control as I, as we talked earlier that when we accept that there are some things out of our control we whenever something happens which we which we cannot control we won't battle for it. Our mind will automatically say, this is something I, not, I cannot control. There's something bigger than me and I'm just going to leave it to themselves, right? And um, when Krishna speaks of the mind resting in the stillness of the prayer of yoga, it is the same thing. The Christians believe that God is that source of stillness in our lives, which extended peace and comfort to us like a, like a river. Peace, be still, Jesus said to the sea. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. There is no stillness to the mind that thinks of nothing but itself, nor, nor will there ever be peace for the body and spirit that follow their every urge and value nothing but themselves. Are we really to say that a simple peasant who piously believed in God, who worshipped daily in a beautiful cathedral that must have seemed a wondrous glory to the greatness of the Holy Spirit, was worse off than us, because he or she lacked our technology or understanding of an evolution? If we told the Zen Buddhists from Japan in the 12th century that in the future everyone could count on greater wealth and longer lives, but that in most cases those gifts would be followed by a feeling of utter purposeless and dissatisfaction, do you think they would want to trade the places with us? Because that does not sound like progress. It's really interesting take. Like I never thought of um, what if we go back into a time and tell them that, hey, you want to switch places? We have all this technology, but we still have, but what we don't have is the peace of mind. Do you think so they would take it? They'll never take it. Try to look at this moment in the light of eternity. Eternity, something bigger than us, something bigger than we can possibly comprehend, something longer than our tiny humanness naturally considers. I feel like this all, again, points to the same point that there are some there is something bigger power than us and we need to surrender to it sometimes because there are so many things out of our control. You cannot control everything. And um, here's an interesting take. Let's read this. So let's talk about nihilism. Here he says that nihilism is a fragile strategy. It's always the nihilists who seem to go crazy or kill themselves when life gets hard or more recently are so afraid of dying that they obsess about living forever. Why is that? Because the nihilist is, to, is forced to wrestle with the immense complexity and difficulty and potential emptiness of life and death with nothing but their own mind. This is a comically unfair mismatch. Again, when nearly all wise people of history agree, we should pause and reflect. It's next to impossible to find an ancient philosophical school that does not talk about a higher power or higher powers, not because they had evidence of its existence, but because they knew how powerful faith and belief were, how essential they were to the achievement of stillness and inner peace. It's a really important take that again, it's not that we improve whether the bigger power exists or not. It's about the faith. That's all matters. It's not that we need to believe that God is great, only that God is greater than us. The common language for accepting of higher power is about letting him, her or it into your heart. That's it. This is about rejecting the tyranny of our intellect, of our immediate observational experience and accepting something bigger, something beyond ourselves. Just know that this step is open to you. It's waiting. And it will help restore you to sanity when you're ready. Let's move on to the next chapter, which is Enter Relationships. He opens up with a quote from Seneca, which goes like, There is no enjoying the possession of anything valuable unless one has someone to share it with. Here, Ryan talks about the importance of having good relationships in your life. You cannot achieve stillness when you're alone. It's all about sharing these moments. It's all about having good people, people you love, and people who love you back around you. Who is there who would wish to be surrounded by all that riches in the world and enjoy every abundance in life and yet not love or be loved by anyone? Was Cicero's question some 2,000 years ago. It echoes on down to us. Still true forever. It's a really interesting, like throughout the whole chapter, Ryan, um, I traits over the importance of having and cultivating good relationships around you we say that most of the time when we are ambitious we ignore these which is not that important because people know you don't need people to actually make you complete it's more about complementing each other it's more about going together you know, and sharing problems and everything. Here, he talked about a really interesting incident, which I never knew about. Let's read that incident. On September 11th, 2001, Brian Sweeney was a passenger trapped on hijacked United Airlines Flight 175, which was headed straight for the South Tower of World Trade Center. He called his wife from one of the plane's seat back phones to say that things were not looking good. I want you to know that I absolutely love you. He told her voicemail. I want you to do... Good. Have good times. Same with my parents. I'll see you when you get here. Imagine the terror of that moment. Yet, when you hear his voice coming through the plane, not a trace of fear. The same serene calmness is found in the final letter written by Major Sullivan below in 1861, in the days before his federal regiment marched out to Manassas, Virginia, where he seemed to know for certain that he would die in battle. Sarah, he wrote, My love for you is deathless. It seems to blind me with mighty cables that nothing but omnipotence can break. And yet my love of country comes over like me, a strong wind, and bears me irresistibly on with all those chains to the battlefield. The memories of all the blissful moments I have spent with you crowding over me and I feel most deeply grateful to God and you that have enjoyed them so long. It's, It's like... The stillness of two people on a porch swing, the stillness of a hug, of a final letter, of a memory, of a phone call before a plane crash, of paying it forward, of teaching, of learning, of being together. By ourselves, we are a fraction of what we can be. By ourselves, something is missing, and worse, we feel that in our bones. Which is why stillness requires other people. Indeed, it is for other people. Let's move on to the next chapter, titled... Conquer your anger. He opens up from Proverbs sixteen thirty-two, which goes like He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a taketh a city. Here Ryan opens up with an example of Michael Jordan when he was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame and during his speech, rather than thanking all of the people who have contributed to his success. He actually started ranting about people who had said that you won't make it or his high school coach who didn't select him or select someone else so throughout the speech what Ryan wanted to say through his example was that this was Michael Jordan's moment he had lived throughout his life for this moment but what did he do de- what did he do in that moment He just let the anger get the best of him and rather than just thanking all the people and enjoying that enjoying his achievement he just went on to rant about people who just made a mistake in judgment maybe i don't know maybe in that moment that wasn't a ma- judgment mistake the high school coach who picked someone else over michael jordan maybe he felt that was the right decision but michael jordan still carried all of that throughout his home life but who was at the loss was that the high school coach at the loss or was michael jordan who in such a precious moment rather than enjoying the moment, decided to get the anger, get the best of him. It's really interesting. I never knew that happened. But when I read that, I was like, wow, it's such an interesting take on that. And here's also another interesting take that Jordan Games was beautiful, but his conduct was often savage and ugly. Was anger really the secret of Michael Jordan's championships? Did his anger get him the varsity spot he wanted the next year? Or did growing four inches help? Could it have actually been a parasitic byproduct that prevented him from enjoying what he accomplished? Tom Brady wins a lot without being mean or angry. If history is any indication, leaders, artists, generals, and athletes who are driven primarily by anger not only tend to fail over a long enough timeline, but they tend to be miserable even if they don't. Always remember, others may hate you, but those who hate you don't win unless you hate them. And then, you destroy yourself it's really interesting and this is something which actually nixon who hated ivy leaguers hated reporters hated jews hated jews and so many other people said these high-minded words to his loyal staffers in the last hours in the white house which is really interesting to know and throughout the whole chapter seneca uh, ryan provides various examples from seneca and other stoic philosophers to iterate how important is it to control your anger and anger does no good to anyone at all I am getting upset by this. And now here's an example. So most of the time we say what to do when I get angry. I just can't control it. And Ryan provides like really good examples of what to things to say when you when you feel like you're in an argument and you're about to lose your temper. I'm getting upset by this and I would like to not to lose my cool about it. This doesn't matter and I'm not going to hold on to it. We can just like move over it. And Ryan says we can even think of the Mr. Rogers words about anger. It's great to be able to stop when you have planned a thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead and think this song. It's really interesting. As silly as those lyrics might seem to us in the moment, as our temper is boiling over, are they any worse than a grown adult losing their cool over some minor slide? That's... And Stoics are often criticized for their rigid rules and discipline. That is really what they are after, an inner dignity a propriety that protects them and their loved ones from dangerous passions. Clearly, basketball was a refuge for Michael Jordan, a game he loved that provided him with satisfaction. But in the pursuit of winning and domination, he also turned it into a kind of raw, open wound, one that seemed to never stop bleeding or cause pain, one that likely cost him additional years of winning, as well as the simple enjoyment of a special evening at the Hall of Fame in Springfield, Massachusetts. That can't be what you want. That cannot be who you want to be. Which is why we must choose to drive out anger and replace it with love and gratitude and purpose. Our stillness depends on our ability to slow down. Choose not to be angry to run on different fuel. Fuel that helps us win and build doesn't hurt other people, our cause or our chance at peace. And now I understand that it's really easy to say that hey just control your anger think about these things whenever you get angry but there are moments when the emotions will get the best of you they get the best of me too but the thing is we gotta keep trying the just because it's not fixable in a second that does not mean it's not fixable right i mean from what i have experienced personally is that i do get angry now i mean like i'm not gonna say that i've controlled my anger that's complete lie if i say that I do get angry but whenever I get angry now with as I'm reading and I'm, I'm getting to know more and more things about how anger affects your daily to daily life and throughout your whole life how anger affects you whenever I get angry I these quotes actually start hitting me back and I I try to control it like whenever I can sometimes it gets the best of me sometimes it doesn't but it's a It's an ongoing conflict. You gotta, it's not that you are able to control your anger once, you'll be able to control your anger forever. But the thing is, you gotta keep your fight on. We cannot let anger win. Anger has not done anything good to anyone ever. But stepping back, holding on to yourself, and just analyzing what you feel and why you feel, always, always helps. And no one has ever regretted not being angry so this is where we're gonna end our episode seven hope you guys really enjoyed it and if you guys have any feedback please feel free to uh, go to our website karthikreads.com and you can provide feedback there and my email and contact information is on the website we would really appreciate your support and feedback and um, take care stay safe stay healthy everyone and that's it for the episode seven bye